91.7 WVXU is proud to support this and other locally produced podcasts through its podcast network for an easy-to-navigate curated list of some of the best local and national podcasts. Visit Podcast Central at wvxu.org slash podcast central. Welcome to The 12th Story, a podcast from the Mercantile Library where readers gather to connect, debate, and discuss. The Literary Center of Cincinnati, The Mercantile is a 183-year-old working library with more than 80,000 books available to members. The library organizes book discussion groups and writing workshops and welcomes thousands every year to its author talks, lectures, and other civic events. Harriet Beecher Stowe and Herman Melville, Colson Whitehead, and Zadie Smith all have spoken at Mercantile events. Located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati, we always welcome new members and guests. You belong here. I'm Hillary Copsey, book advisor at the Mercantile. Joining us today in the reading room on the 12th story of the Mercantile building are Sarah Clark from Cincinnati Shakespeare Company and Steve McGowan from Brave Berlin. The company behind Luminosity and Blink is working with Cincinnati Shakespeare Company to create an immersive multimedia experience for its new production of 1984, which opens October 12th. Sarah, Steve, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I thought we'd start uh, with you know, finding out when did you first read 1984? What stuck with you about it? Um, I first encountered the, the novel in high school. I think it was summer reading before our sophomore year. Um, and I, I think it was my, my introduction to dystopian fiction. You know, it's sort of like reading The Lord of the Rings for the first time and reading the book that kind of sets the model for the genre. And thinking about it now and reading as an adult, it's um, like in retrospect amazing to kind of see how relevant it still is. <laughs> like, it's, it doesn't feel like it's a dated genre novel, you know? It, uh, it set out sort of a set of tropes that um, are imitated in today's YA and dystopian fiction and television, and really they're all over the place. Yeah. Steve, your partner, Dan Reynolds, I remember him saying at the first read-through of 1984 that it was really kind of amazing to think that George Orwell, clear back in the 40s, could imagine this giant telescreen. Like, that the technology was in his head that we have today. Yeah, I mean, it's simply amazing. I, I, it's sad to say, for me, this is, the, this is my first introduction, so I'm just kind of discovering it now. Oh, that's interesting. And what's funny is, um, so then I was very, very quick to sort of you know, do research and, and look, and so I started, um, I started with a, uh, you know, the book, and then the play is so different than the book, because in the, in the book, they don't, uh, they don't get into the, um, you know, the, uh, the appendix until, you know, after you discover the appendix and then you really, it, it kind of gives you all the answers. Yeah. In the play, it's quite different. You learn up front sort of how to understand what's happening on stage. And, and uh, to me, that was kind of, and it's a hard, it's, it's a hard read. I mean, it just really is because it's all based on, you know, confusion and Winston not really knowing where he ever is. And so uh, for someone who um, was discovering it for the first time, you know, I had to do a couple rereads. But and now seeing it come together, watching rehearsals, the acting is just superior. And then I know the work that we're doing to sort of enhance that with the visuals is something, you know, to uh, to be seen. Yeah, that must have been a very interesting experience to be reading 1984 now for the first time. Um, the story does seem really relevant to today. Uh, Sarah, I'd like to talk a little bit about why Cincinnati Shakespeare Company decided to do this story now. Uh, so one of our um, sort of primary goals whenever we choose any piece of theater is we talk about feeding the dialogue in the community. You know, um, we're a nonprofit organization, we're mission driven, but we never want to come down on one side of any issue. And what's fascinating about this story is how 
any part of the political spectrum in the past has used this story to sort of make their argument. Um, so where you may read it and see one thing, somebody else may read it and see something totally different. Yeah. And so uh, particularly in this slot in our season and sort of the October, November and the lead up to the midterm elections, we are very conscious of wanting to feed dialogue in the community. We are in Ohio, we are in a swing state, we're in a place where people's voices matter and this is a story where the individual has been completely suppressed and their voices don't matter and so we hope that people kind of walk out of this um, thinking and talking about some of these issues but really just the, the their own ability to actually make their voice heard in this society. That's interesting. So I heard at the, um, I've heard Brian Isaac Phillips, your producing artistic director, talk about this, the point of this story being that truth matters. Is that kind of the conversation and dialogue that you're starting to, to that you want to create? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's um, <laughs> back when uh, uh, alternative facts was becoming a thing and, yep. and fake news. And uh, yeah, we definitely heard a lot of um, echoes of that uh, in this story. And it's something we've been talking a lot about through the rehearsal process. And you can kind of see it in our social media presence as well. It's yeah. our hashtag. It is. <laughs> yes. what, what is the hashtag? The truth matters. Ah, the truth matters. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about the technology and this idea of a, a, an immersive multimedia experience. What is that going to look like? So the play itself is um, it can could really hold its own without all of the sort of the technology piece of it. It's that strong and compelling. But then we thought, and the reason I think we got involved was we were thinking like, how could we just sort of take um, take it to this next level? And and honestly, it's funny because we were in essence cast as Big Brother because we are providing the telescreen plays a massive role in, in the show. Um, but we went a step beyond that. So we also are working with production designers to actually dress the stage in a way that enhances the, you know, the, the, the scenes of the play, but also the emotion of the play. Yeah. Um, so that's really been really quite fun. Um, but the teleprompter itself, Big Brother is watching, you know, so we are sort of playing Big Brother. Um, I do know this, that uh, when you get into the play, um, and you start to play with those different, the dimension and how intimate the Shakespeare theater really is. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it, when it played in London, um, it was controversial. People, you know, were, it was, it's a... It, I heard people were fainting and vomiting and like, it's, it's a very hard a, play, right? The, half, the second half of the play is, is tough, you know, it, but it needs to be seen, it needs to be heard, it needs to be expressed. But it's, uh, and, and we're adding to that, that elevation of... Um, of drama, you know, through media. Yeah. So that's been uh, that's been really fun. So I want to get into that a little bit more, but be before we get to it, tell me tell me about the telescreen. When you say you've been cast as Big Brother, what does that look like? <laughs> what does that um, mean? <laughs> so the telescreen in Orwell's novel is something that is present in every single room. It's public. Uh, it's present in public squares. Essentially, it is the thing that um, you know. The, the tagline is Big Brother is watching you. That people there is no privacy in this world anymore. Um, that everything you do, everything you say, everything you think, even is is um, is made public, is, is potentially watched. And it was fascinating rereading the novel, uh, how many times they refer to saying, you know, there's no law against this. 
but you're still not going to do it because somebody's going to come in the middle of the night and take you away and you're never going to be seen again. Yeah, you're you know? self-regulating, <laughs> Exactly, yeah. exactly. The idea of, of thought crime, that even having the thought of um, rebellion or sedition is enough. It's and that people yes. are, you know, there's a thought police that, yeah. that patrols that sort of a thing. So people will actually see a telescreen? They will. It's quite large. It actually just got installed <laughs> yesterday. I don't yes. know if you had a chance to see it on the set, yeah, but it takes massive. up, it's basically the width of the stage. Wow. And yeah, it's quite present. And so the theater, there's no seat more than 20 feet from the stage. I got that right. So you've got this big looming screen that's going to be watching and showing mm-hmm. all like, both okay yeah because um, the idea is it's it's two-way it's something that sees you and then you see it wow yeah. so then will the audience see things that maybe the actors on stage don't know are happening yet i mean is, that's a good question yeah. we've actually uh, so the cast has been rehearsing up in the rehearsal room uh, we actually don't go into our technical rehearsals until saturday yeah. um and we're all very anxious to get this next scene partner and really sort of see what these guys have been working those on. those are a few surprises that that are in store <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so you guys don't even know yet. No, Sarah. we don't. I, we know a little bit of it. Like, certain, some things have been pre-recorded that we've been yeah. working with that are very integral to the story. But there's a lot that, yeah. We, yeah, we, are... we should talk process because that was really interesting too. Sort of getting getting into it. But what's fun about the telescreen is that it it's it, it's all around us now. You know, it's it's uh, FaceTiming someone. You know, honestly, or well, the extreme can... paranoia that people have with Alexa. You know, listening to your conversations or, or taping even, over. Or yeah. even just should I post that on social media? Mm-hmm. What will be the reaction yeah. to that? Right. Yeah. Like, the fact that you carry a camera and a GPS locator in your pocket. Yeah. Or you can take pictures of anybody without them knowing it. I yeah. Mean, kind of well, believe me, we're that's the part that's terrifying in the in the play, and that's the part that we're going to. Amp up. <laughs> yes. So, Sarah, you played Julia in the play, is that right? And so Winston sort of falls for Julia, and that's kind of the catalyst for everything else, more or less? More or less, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the play starts with um, Winston beginning a diary, which is already um, something that is not allowed. And again, there's no law against it. <laughs> but he, he has to deliberately hide it from the telescreen, this idea that the act of putting something with pen to paper and writing private thoughts is not allowed in the society. So that sort of starts him, um, but it's really when he meets Julia, and Julia is somebody who is kind of a, um, she's very much an under-the-radar rebel. You know, she has no desire to sort of take down the party, take down the state, but she very much believes in secret disobedience and secret happiness, and that you are able to live your private life as long as you do it safely. Um, And she kind of introduces that. And I think that's really what inspires him to then continue down the path of rebellion and really wanting to do something that takes down the party. Yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about the, you mentioned we should talk about production. I think that's a great, a great idea. So we've got the telescreen, but I remember sitting through the the initial read through and talking about all the production stuff. They, there was the sound guy really stuck with me. I'm losing his name right now. Uh, Doug Borntrager. Thank you. Um, Brilliant. He, he, yeah. yeah, and he was talking about how there's going to be this like low level hum, like because we're all living with these machines, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it heightens the feeling. So then when you don't have that suddenly it creates a feeling and an emotion. Yeah. And then when you add projections on top of that... And lighting. And it's lighting. layers and layers and layers. And this brilliant acting. It, it, it is... I'm in, I'm, I'm in awe of it. Like, it, it, it really gives you... You get goosebumps sort of watching it all come together. And we've seen it, so we've been in rehearsals. But I, I don't know... I think Cincinnati is really in for a, a great show. And I do believe this will sell out. I, I don't even know how else to put it. I've, I've been watching it. Yeah, and seats are 
turning blue, which is, <laughs> which is good. So are there moments, are there key moments in the production where the projections are are, are going to really ramp things up. Oh, yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so in the process, um, it's funny. So we had to start super early because we had to film scenes that um, get projected onto the telescreen. Um, and so there are also times where the telescreen is talking directly to the actors on stage. Uh, so we had to pre-record all of that. And so even costume, all of it. So we were sort of even, it's almost a play within a play in a very weird way. But we had to get up you know, in front of all of that. And then so for rehearsals, we had to do all of our audio cues and all of that. So the process has been really unique. Uh, and then also getting the technology right for the theater so that the, um, and even the design of the theater, the production design of the, of the set had to be completed very early on so that we understood what we were projecting onto because we're gonna use our mapping techniques to, you know, to, to map every detail of the set because sometimes the, the projection is the telescreen mm -hmm. and sometimes it takes over the entire set. Wow. And so you'll see things um, that, uh, and sometimes it acts as uh, the scenery to the set, you know, the texture and mm -hmm. the, you know, the um, really kind of the propping and the, the scene dressing. So Sarah, is it kind of like having a whole other like actor, for lack of a better word, to work against? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's the thing that, um, it, the, the play itself is not long. The runtime is 101 minutes uh, without an intermission. Mm -hmm. And so we actually staged it very quickly and we've done now six or seven run-throughs in the rehearsal room, which is unusual. You know, uh, most of the plays that we work on in classical theater tend to be a good bit longer. And so we, we sort of use all of that time. But we are um, very much craving our, our two new scene partners, one being the technical design and then the other, of course, being the audience. Mm -hmm. How does that play into, you know, having having somebody watching the story? Can you anticipate what their reaction is going to be sometimes? Or uh, you can a little bit. I would say probably more so in um, pieces of comedy. You know, mm -hmm. the most of the work you do is you are aware of what you want to get a laugh and what you don't want to get a laugh. Um, I think with a piece like this, it's more about. What do you want people to be feeling at any given moment? What do you want them to be thinking about? What do you want them to leave the theater talking about? Um, and then just some basic things of making sure that the focus is in the right place at the right time. You know, that in film, you can point a camera where you want the audience to look. In theater, you need to use a variety of skills. You know, the actor's performance has to be compelling, the staging has to be appropriate, and the tech has to support that and say, audience, look here, because they've got the option to look anywhere. Right. Yeah, Brian, Brian, for him, for when he was able to get his head into all of it, that's, I think that's the brilliance in it all. That's, that's the mastery of it because he was able to see the lighting cues and he was able to see entrances and exits and all of that, you know, coming together. It wasn't really, and, and for us, that was, that was an interesting process to watch as well because as it reads in the script, you, it's, a, it's a riddle. It can be a real riddle. And there was a lot of trying to figure it out too along the way and add some, some unique um, bits to it. But it even says in the play that if you're doing it one way, you're doing it wrong. Um, and, and, the, and the one way is if you, if you feel like you're being too literal and you feel like oh. you are taking someone down a path, then you're not creating that level of confusion that, you know, that makes for this dystopian, you know, or to get inside Winston's head, because he never really knows where he is in the play. Right. So we've talked a lot about what's going on on the stage and how the technology is playing in, but you guys are doing stuff outside the building too, right? Yeah, we're doing, we're having fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what else is weird too? So like, you know, that presidential tweet that came out, yeah. that was us. We did that. 
No, I'm kidding. I wish we would have <laughs> yeah. done that. That actually came through. We were rehe- we were doing a run through yesterday, and we were literally in the middle of the 20 minute torture scene that ends the play, and that's when everybody's phones that's went off. That's so weird. Like, oh my god. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I have noticed a whole lot of cameras like that have been showing up around town, which mm-hmm. is a little freaks me out a little bit. I don't, you know, that is that Big Brother watching and. Uh, but yeah, we did a few things on the theater. We activated the theater. That was sort of the brave Berlin-ness of our, of our, um, the method to our madness was like, we wanted to bring the play outside for folks that might not be able to get to see the show. Yeah, so if you're standing in Washington Park looking yeah. at the theater while this show's running. So it's live now. You can go there yeah. now and you can see at it, night, yeah. yeah, after the sun goes down, you can see a, a couple of things. Part, it's part uh, advertising the show to sell tickets, right. but the other part is like a, a really kind of fun illusion that we did that kind of gives a little bit of a sneak peek to uh, what you might find in the play. That's exciting. Um, so you, you mentioned the presidential tweet. I'm curious, rereading the book or reading it for the first time, doing this production, has it affected your views on social media, technology, the, the things that we are living with on a day-to-day basis? I think I'm more aware. You know, when you were talking about both sides using it to their advantage, I'm, I'm I see that more. At first, I thought maybe it was one. It could have been felt as being one-sided or whatever. But it, that's the part. I just think I'm more aware. I'm, I'm paying more attention to some of those things. I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I can see how people are, yeah. <laughs> you know. Or um, when it comes to sort of the politics of it all, that uh, yeah, this. I mean, I think there's a reason that this book flew to the top of the charts right. Right after the election. Yeah. yeah. For me personally, it's been interesting. I revisited it recently, knowing this production was coming up, and at the same, right about the same time, I downloaded an app on my phone called Moment that tracks my phone usage, mm-hmm. and it was shocking to me how much time I was spending on my phone and what I thought. It was double the amount of time, like almost like three or four hours, yeah. um, just because you know, I'm picking up here, like all those, all those moments that I might have like had a conversation with someone waiting in line or just been silent with my thoughts, I was letting my phone amuse me. And that's just me. That's me doing yeah. it to myself. Right. Yeah, it varies. I have a very similar sort of thought. You know, um, in the lead-up to the 2016 election, there was a lot of talk about um, echo chambers uh, and how we are really creating those... Well, the technology is helping us <laughs> create and curate our own experience, our own filter. You know, we see... We don't... It's so difficult sometimes to see what the objective truth is because it's always coming through the filter of your feed or your particular news outlets or or what have you. And in 1984, that is very deliberately curated by this totalitarian government. But Mm -hmm. it's essentially the same concept, that it is difficult to latch on to is the past malleable? You know, where, where does the past exist? You know, is it in human memory? Human memory is fallible. What happens when you have an entity that controls all records and thinks they can control human memory? Does that mean that then what you thought happened did not in fact happen? Well, and if we're all curating our own, like, like the idea that we're all Instagram worthy, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> my life on Instagram is certainly much prettier than maybe my everyday life, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, it is an interesting thing to be thinking about. Um, you guys have mentioned a couple times the uh, differences between the book and the 
play. There's always differences when things are translated. So can we talk a little bit about maybe things that are left behind or things that are added or what can, what can people expect? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, we do um, quite a few literary adaptations. You know, we usually have about one a season. And as an actor, it can be, especially one who loves to read, it can be very frustrating because an adaptation, if be it theatrical or on film, is never going to be exactly the book. You're always sort of mourning what is lost. I actually don't feel that way about this one. I feel like it hits most of the points that are really needed from Orwell's novel. What's unique about it, and we've sort of touched on this, is Orwell wrote an appendix to 1984 that I have no recollection of I reading when I first either. read it. Most people don't. And actually very telling, um, when I, I re-downloaded uh, the book on my Kindle to be able to reread it in, in preparation for the show, and it links to my Goodreads account that I you know track all of my reading yeah. with. And you know how it's got that little thing that pops up at the end that goes, hey, you finished this book, please rate it. Yeah. It popped up at the end of the novel proper and before the appendix. Weird. So the appendix was included, but it was very much like, this is the end of Orwell's book. And when he was publishing it, he actually fought with these publishers. They wanted to cut the appendix. They oh. wanted to cut whole sections of Goldstein's That's book right. that are in it. And he goes, you can't do that because without the appendix, it's an incredibly bleak ending. Yeah. You know, Winston is in a cafe. He's been, he's grateful and thankful for his oppressor and he's waiting for a bullet. You know, it's yeah. that, you know, the, uh, a boot stamping on a human face. Like, it's bleak. But yeah. with the appendix and this idea idea that Winston's diary did survive, that he was not in fact unperson, that we do in fact know his name, and the appendix is dated 2050. So what this adaptation does is blend these two things. And the, you know, um, on, on the program, you know, when you open it, you know, you've got like that place, time, mm -hmm. telling you where it's set. Right. The time is 1984 question mark. Because, yeah. you know, as, as you referenced, uh, you're never quite meant to know exactly when and where you are. I'm curious to see, it would be fun to go into the classroom now, you know, into a, a lit class and see what, how they're talking about the book. So I've wondered that. I don't, I, I actually meant to do it and I haven't had time. I wanted to try to talk to some high school teachers and see if they're still teaching this. I think it's still on lists. I'm curious what a teenager would, imagine, yeah. would think about this. Well, then I want to go back in time and see what they said then. You right. know, because that's before <laughs> we had cell phones and all of, you know, whatever was happening. Yeah, we kind of are living in the future, right? Yeah. Do you think, uh, so this production, could you have done it without the technology, do you think, Sarah? Like, oh. We could have. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we got to see the original production on the West End in London, and there was some, uh, there's some media that is integral, you know. There's yeah. a, the telescreen is present. Mm -hmm. um, there are sections of the play that are done through a live feed on video. Um, big sections like the two minutes hate that mm -hmm. requires the audience to see something. But we could have done it with some kind of the bare minimum design. Mm -hmm. um, I think what will be really extraordinary about this production is, as you were saying, you know, uh, the idea of really kind of amping all of that up and, and uh, the technology of the projection mapping allowing you to not just show something on a screen, but to dress the set, <laughs> you yeah. know, to really, to really design the show in that way. Because it's part film, really. I mean, it's part film and it's part, you know, live acting. So it's a, it's, I think it, to me it's a new performance sort of art that we should all be paying attention to that's, that's different. We're starting to blur the lines between that, which I think is really great. Yeah, I'm very curious to see it. You mentioned that Sarah, that there's a like a, a little glimmer of hope, maybe the appendix offers, <laughs> right? So, but there's also that you mentioned, Steve, the 20 minute torture scene at the end. So, why have that? I mean, why why is that necessary 
to 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 this production? Well, I mean, the the torture itself is integral to the book, you yeah. know, and it's something that the characters recognize is inevitable. I mean, Winston and Julia both, as soon as he opens that diary, as soon as they begin their relationship, they say, "We're going to be caught." The question is, what do we do in the interim, you know, mm-hmm. beforehand? And and it's also it sounds sort of perverse, but it's also a love story. It's about two people um, who are very human and very flawed. And uh, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who who hasn't read it. But the idea of um, are you able to be completely faithful to somebody under such duress, mm-hmm. and and what effect does that have on your humanity and your relationship? Yeah, it's a. It's a- really valid questions and important ones. Um, I noticed there's an advisory on the show. We should probably <laughs> include that here. This is yes. not for children, right? It is this not. is This no. is a 14 and over show that, uh, and they're, because of the technology, there's strobe lights and things like that mm-hmm. too. Yes. So Yeah, there are effects. There's um, obviously torture and violence mm-hmm. scenes that uh, people may noises. find uh, yeah. uh, disturbing. Um, there is simulated sex on stage. So mm-hmm. it is definitely an adult production, but um, you know, if you, uh, if you are up for that, you know, if you're up for coming in and leaning forward and having an experience, um, I think we're going to give you a, I don't want to say a good time. That sounds odd. Yeah, it's, it's not <laughs> a pick-me-upper. <laughs> no, it's not. You'll want an ice cream afterwards. <laughs> Maybe you might want a bourbon. Yeah. Right, right. So what are you guys hoping? You mentioned, Sarah, at the very beginning of this conversation, the idea of dialogue. But what are you guys hoping that, that people take from the show? I hope they ask questions, and I hope they have... Um, fierce disagreement about their interpretation of it, genuinely. You know, you mentioned, Steve, that the authors don't want you to answer any of the questions that the play poses. They want them to be ambiguous. And that's a difficult thing for an actor and a director because all of our training is about specificity. And so for us, we... We, the actor, I, Sarah, know what I think about this moment. That doesn't mean I want to prescribe that for an audience. So I would love them to be having arguments in the car ride home about what they just saw. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. And I think, too, I'm, I'm, in, I'm with you, Sarah. I think that if people, if it opens up the dialogue um, in a way that, uh, then I don't know that it will answer questions for people, but it will just have them think differently. Um, and then maybe in a way, too, where they don't have to have an opinion about everything. That's the other thing that social media does, right? It's just this open forum for everyone to be able to just, like, bash on anything and have this louder voice than most. But that's one where I think things are going to be revealed to you that, that are quite puzzling, and you're not going to be able to figure them out, and that's okay. You know? But as long right as people are talking about it. Yeah. 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 Are you, I know sometimes you all do talkbacks and things. Are there going to be – are there places or times when you're trying to – jumpstart those conversations or help not guide because to your point you're not trying to have to lead people to any conclusion but at least start the conversation absolutely so we have two sunday matinee performances over the course of the course of the four-week run and we'll have um discussion uh with the actors with the cast uh, after that and an audience is always welcome to stay for we're going to do um a salon uh that is open we did actually our first one for um our production of funny thing happened on the way to the forum which just closed which was after a, a matinee performance but it was also open to anybody who wanted to come in whether you'd seen the show that day or not and that was a little more formal we had a panel of of people um, to kind of uh, uh, start um, some questions and some dialogue, and we're looking to do that as well. Uh, also, on Thursdays before the show, we do these insights lectures, so we'll bring in um, sort of other voices uh, to be able to do a little bit of a pre-show talk and just give the audience some more things to think about. So, yeah, absolutely. That's there are cool. Many I, I didn't know that you were doing it, so I'm, I knew some of that was happening. We're, we're working on a bit of a documentary with the process and sort of the making of, yeah. you know, 1984. I would love to get some of that in there because I think that's the that's kind of the post show magic, right? That like yeah. what 
and that dialogue that people are having, and then yeah, Absolutely. that's going to be fun. Have um, has the cast and the and the crew? Have you guys been having arguments and conversations over this production? Has um, it sparked things for you? I, I I don't know so much arguments, but definitely a lot of discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it goes back to you know sort of what I was saying before. Like our training teaches us, like I must specify this moment. I must know what this is for me. And in the rehearsal room, what that usually looks like is great. So this scene, we could tell six different stories with this one line or this one little moment. So we're going to try all six of them, and then we're going to pick one, <laughs> um, so that sort of you, the actor, have a little touch point of going. This is what I think, but again, it's it's really it's not about hitting the audience over the head with a hammer and going. This is what this play means. This is what this story means. It's going. Here are some options. What do you think? Right. Well, Sarah, Steve, thank you so much for the conversation today. Uh, 1984 opens at Cincinnati Shakespeare Company on October 12th, and I think we're all excited to see the magic. Um, thank you all for joining us on the 12th story and to make sure you catch every episode, subscribe through the iTunes store or SoundCloud and your good words are better than any advertisement. If you like what you heard, tell your friends or tweet to us at Mercantile LIB. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guests, Sarah Clark and Steve McGowan. Uh, the 12th Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Don't forget to visit us online at mercantilelibrary.com where you can learn about and register for all our upcoming events. You belong here. Big Brother is watching. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag the truth matters.